0: Welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero.
1: Welcome back to the Move Daily Health Podcast. We are Season 2, Episode 2, and today we are going to go into speaking a little bit more about what it actually means to listen to your body and understanding the cues that you get so that you can actually keep your body happy and your health on track. So this is about cultivating awareness, so whether that's listening to your joints or your nervous system or your gut, your hunger cues, all of the above, listening to these and knowing what to do with those signals. So last week, we started to drip feed a little bit of this bodily awareness in by giving a little bit of homework, one being how to source a little bit more movement within your day, and the second to time your meals so you could actually sense how you felt after your meals instead of just eating and flying through the day. So today's episode, we're going to build a little bit on that, on cultivating awareness and how to identify when things go wrong versus when things go right, and trying to decipher any misleading cues that might be uh, there within. Um, And today, again, I'm sure Freya will give a few anecdotes about the EDS population being canaries in a coal mine, but the information discussed here today is for the population at large and is going to focus on those who would would define themselves as being generally healthy, okay? (laughs) Okay. Now people can uh, always find us at movewelldaily.com and on Instagram at move underscore daily underscore eds. And I think I actually got that one right this time. All right, Freya, let's get started.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Dane. So um what we're trying to what we're trying to do in this podcast is give you some sort of idea towards what to listen to from the body, because I know I'm stating the obvious, but the body doesn't give you a nice little email or text one day and say, hey, by the way, this is what I'm feeling right now. It doesn't have verbal cueing. So what we can do is be better at sensing what these nonverbal cues are like throughout our entire system. And the point behind this isn't to become, you know, obsessive, but we should, first of all, know what our – body's doing and how it's doing in order to help mitigate the severity of health events. So we work with a lot of people who have encountered a health event, whether that is digestive distress or whether that is an injury or whether it's a sudden drop-in in in athletic performance. Whatever the reason is, there's always a, a trail that leads up to that, and it's a trail of bodily feedback leading up to the main event. A lot of people find themselves figuring out that trail by looking back in hindsight. So what we're trying to do is spell out sort of what the feedback can be like from all of your systems in order to mitigate the severity of any sort of health event. We're obviously going to encounter them throughout our life um, because we're living creatures and life isn't like one smooth, you can mitigate everything. But you can gather a lot more info, reduce the severity of it, improve your ability to recover as a consequence of being really well connected. And uh, I know that Dane has had his own experiences with that. I think we all have. And injuries and, and illness can definitely lead to a lot of lessons. But if there's one thing that we can do with those lessons is also try to pass them on and impart them to other people in terms of what they can do for their systems before they are handed a list of like, various pathologies for their body.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's really the first line of defense is listening to your body and the cues therein. I mean, it's not a panacea, but when you pay attention, uh, it really helps because when all you do is outsource to doctors or to chiros or to trainers or even to like a very strict diet, then we lose control over our individual outcomes and it becomes really hard to understand what our body's saying because we get so locked into just, you know, letting other people solve our problems for us. One of the big things is kind of blaming age as we get older, just saying it's normal to feel really tired all the time, or I feel like my back's really sore, or that I might be gaining a little bit of weight. And I mean, if you're in your 20s and your 30s and you're otherwise healthy, but you're saying you're in pain every day or something, there's a contraindication there. Like something is is wrong. And I can, uh, I hope you know that's not judgment, because I can speak from experience. (laughs) Because when I was 30, again, competing heavily for Strongman, of course, I had a, you know, a sore knee at one point. I'm like, hey, I'm I just turned 30. That's normal. I lift heavy weights, totally cool. And then this one over here decided, you know, you should probably just get that one looked at, and sure enough, there was a hole in my patella tendon. So it was like, yeah, maybe if I'd listened to those little things and not just written them off because I was physically active and getting a little bit older, I could have prevented that from happening in the first place. So rule number one really is that the body changes over time. So old habits old workouts, old diets, very unlikely (laughs) to serve you forever. And getting stuck in old rules for a changing body is what leads to health problems. So aging itself is not the culprit. It's a lack of awareness and adaptation over time. Mm -hmm.
0: And I remember uh, a couple of friends graduated from university. They they were three and two years older than me. And so they graduated from university and both of them got jobs that were office-based jobs. So one of them in particular went from like you know, swimming, playing various intramural sports several times a week, walking to and from campus to an office job with a roughly one-hour commute. And um, in a very short time period, he gained, he went from very, you know, athletic and healthy, uh, gained roughly 50 pounds, and, and stated that he was just getting old. Now this is somebody who's like 24. <laughs> and the other one said something very similar. Um more on the side of like, oh, I'm just achy all the time because I'm old now. And that was I mean, I laugh at it cuz you know, we're we're much beyond that in terms of age, but there are these people in their mid 20s just dismissing things that then become precursors to really not feeling great in life and not being able to experience life fully when it is something that's within their control, right? So, um, and this is why we're delineating too between people who do have degenerative conditions, like my Nana had MS, that follows a very different timeline. So, um, to experience pain in those circumstances has a different filter to it. If you're defining yourself as, as an otherwise healthy person, um, you know, we, we can't just say, oh, it's because of age. Weight can change over the course of our life, and we also know that weight isn't the only barometer of health at all, so that's not what we're going to emphasize in terms of what you need to actually listen to. It's just that can be one of the feedback things, sure, but it's not the thing to listen to, and we'll get into that when it comes to nutrition. It's definitely not going to be our main uh, focus point at all, but it, it What we really want people to understand is that they may need practitioners throughout their life. They may need um, medicine to intervene or to explore certain things that are occurring within their body. But they should be going into those appointments with eyes wide open and awareness, which also helps us communicate with our practitioners. If we know what our skin suit has inside it, and we know how those bits function, then when someone gives us a piece of paper that has a pathology on it that ends with ISIS or Otis, we have a better conception of what that actually entails for our function going forward or how it may have come about. But if we walk in, and we've certainly worked with clients in this way, and I'll get into the movement piece uh, momentarily, where I've had clients come to me, and they come with a folder all of these various things coming from imaging or blood work and so on, and the only things that they know about their body are the terms used to define pathologies. So it's that's all they know, and they're not even totally sure on some of that, <laughs> but on what they actually mean, but that's all they know about their system. They have no idea, you know, where muscles and ligaments and tendons all intersect and what a joint is supposed to be able to do, like is that a hinge joint, is that one that's capable of rotation, no idea, but they have a laundry list of pathologies, and, and I think that as a patient, that's intimidating, because th- your first introduction to your body was to be given a book of, which is like the equivalent of English, English lit, when you needed to learn the alphabet. So. That's what we try to bridge the gap with, is because pathologies can serve a very good purpose in terms of medicine and and communication. But (laughs) that's not the kind; like it doesn't provide us as patients and clients with tools of what to listen to and what that actually means within their body. So it they can be a little bit more overwhelming from a psycho-emotional standpoint, just feeling like I'm not in control or in charge of what's happening to me. I don't know how this is supposed to work and a lot of people when they are when they haven't learned the alphabet and they're handed a bunch of english lit they they go still they start to develop fear of their systems or they start to have a bit more of a fragility mindset of just oh well it's just you know as you age you fall apart <laughs> and um you know we know a lot of people who are significantly older and they've they're doing really well like you know m- my mom lifts runs works, all these things. I'm not saying that everyone needs to be that way. But there is sufficient evidence in our world that we are, if you are in the generally healthy population, you are plastic until the day you die, which means you are adaptable. Does it mean that you should go compete in strongman at 70 years old when you never have before? Maybe not. There's always a filter, right? There is a tipping point, and we're all our own, as as our um, friend Cliff says, we're all our own unique snowflakes. But at the end of the day, you've got to learn, you know, what your snowflake is made of. And then also learn that you are adaptable based on your environment and your various inputs. And our next podcast will go into that
1: a little bit more. I know what your snowflake's made of. I really like that. That's great. (laughs) But really, full of analogies today. (laughs) (laughs) But really, just to summarize that, I mean, like, you, you are more in control of your outcomes in your body than anyone else. Nobody else lives in your body. So you have to understand the rules of your body and what your body is saying to you. Because at the end of the day, what, we're, what we all should be trying to do is shortening that gap between our health span and our lifespan. Because when we have 10, 20, 30 years at the end of our lives where we're not totally coherent or physically we can't do anything, I mean, you can speak to those people like, that's miserable, that's not where you want to be. So we want to shorten that gap and starts by redefining what normal is, when you are younger younger being 20s 30s 40s 50s 60s like that's younger it's not old <laughs> and so you need to redefine normal and what aging is there um and so we have to set this baseline for ourselves that makes sense and that starts by asking why you are feeling a certain way so like why am i always tired why does my energy always crash in the afternoon mm-hmm. why is my weight changing you know why do i have mood swings why does my knee hurt why does my back hurt But being curious about these things and then trying different strategies to actually manage those as opposed to just writing them off because you're a little bit older. Or, you know, I sprained my ankle when I was 12, so now that I'm 40, i got a bad ankle. It's like, well, let's, you know, we got some tools. We can probably work through that. Um, And I've kind of joked that I think the internet has kind of numbed us with its memes about, no, my low back is hurt, so ha, 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 I'm old. It's like, damn, internet. No, it's not true. You're better than that, so... I think that's uh just what we're dealing with in these day and age
0: yeah it's normalized it but without actually uh empowering people like it's true 80 percent, probably more of us in in our type of society i should say will experience a low back event a high percentage of those people will experience multiple low back events and um you know that's a huge actually just recently bought a new textbook on that because that is an ongoing struggle for medicine, for practitioners, for trainers to figure out how do we solve this. And a lot of it comes down to our environment and it comes down to a patient's education about their own body. And it also comes down to the fact that the human body wasn't necessarily built for our modern lifestyle. and And we do know that. So yeah, we invented things like the gym and we have recreational activities and Those are all very, very good things to do, and um, by and large, we that's why we also want people to just outsource movement naturally within their day, maybe make it less convenient by taking two trips to get something from downstairs (laughs) instead of one. Resource
1: movements in the day, not outsource. There you go. Resource it. Bring it back in.
0: (laughs) Did I say outsource? I did say outsource. Correct. Because we're used to telling people that they've outsourced <laughs> movements, that is right. or asking <laughs> them, I should say, not, not telling. Um, so with, within the body, when it comes to the movement side of things, I was asked probably about a decade ago, uh, because I worked in a sports clinic. So I worked with a lot of people who got injured through training and training with coaches or, or trainers. And I was asked what do you think was the one thing that would prevent those people from being in the clinic? In a clinical setting, it meant that they had gotten hurt. They were seeing a physio chiro, sports doc, and myself as their um, person to help them regain, we called it a dynamic functional movement training. So to regain their their performance, meaning whatever they needed to, to do in their life. And um, what I had answered at the time was why, was that the the trainer had asked the client to do something or the client had made themselves do something without knowing why they were making that exercise prescription. So maybe the person wasn't actually qualified for it. Maybe there was no reason for them to actually do that. None of, n- nothing about that exercise served the client. And so that gap, that why, that lack of why, is why, no pun intended, <laughs> people got hurt. In the last decade, I have rejigged that. That why is supremely important for coaches to know. It's, it's very important for, for people to know. Like, why, you know, when people uh, run and say they're running seven days a week and their knees hurt, I don't berate them and tell them, okay, you shouldn't run seven days a week. I say, okay, why are you running? Why do you think you need to run? What is it that you like about running? Why do you think you maybe shouldn't be running as much? And we have that discussion because if we can answer all the whys and then also all the why nots, we'll, get, we'll start getting into the bodily feedback. So what then comes about in for me in the last decade was that that why is actually like the fourth step in the process because there are a lot of steps that lead up to even entering into that activity where somebody... Uh, winds up hurting themselves and one of the first things is just understanding did you sleep last night (laughs) and I know this sounds ridiculous but seriously did you sleep last night because if you didn't sleep last night your resilience and tolerance and tissue tolerance and your reactivity will go down everyone knows that if you're if you slept very little and then you go driving your reaction time might be lower but people don't calculate that when it comes to gym or exercise-based activities but the same is also true there so if you're not, not as reflexively strong that day, then maybe that's not the day to be doing something that's a high-level complex skill where you really need your whole brain to be 100, 100% in your body that day. Um, consequently, that's also not the day to push to fatigue. <laughs> it's the day where I, I say you should practice lit. Everyone's familiar with HIT, thanks to social media, high-intensity interval training. It is very effective. There are many different ways to uh, apply that. If you look at some of Martin Gabala's work, we've done a podcast with him. There are ways to apply it that don't actually involve you winding up in a pool of your own sweat and potentially blood from ripped calluses Nothing gross. (laughs) Um, But I say you should practice lit, (laughs) low-intensity interval training.
1: We need to copyright that.
0: Trade market. There you go. <laughs> uh, so, th- the the whole principle of lit is like it's not as sexy, so it's not what people see out there. But it is so important because even the most high level athletes don't work at that crazy high capacity day in day out. And um, embracing the you know all of the gray zones in between is is what will keep you healthy and help you manage things. And it also prevents you from beating yourself up. For the, I'm not trying hard enough. I'm not constantly It's Like, well, you really shouldn't be. Being sore can help with buy-in. Being sore will occur if you do anything new for the first time. And, and that can be a marker of, of some good things metabolically, but it shouldn't be the, the status quo. And so to bring this back full circle, like that's the first assessment of the day, well before the exercise prescription takes place, is did you sleep? What is your actual read on your recovery? That tells you what you might need to adjust for your day. Aside from that is, is being in your body. And so I'm going to borrow this from our, our friend and colleague, Mike Fitch. He says put people's brains back into their bodies, and we believe that um, because most people will walk around day in, day out, and if they don't really tune in, they can be so brain-heavy up here, even while they're exercising, that, again, that's a reason – that mishaps can happen. The brain than, carrier. It's the brain carrier. Not a body. And and there are a lot of people where we ask them to like move their toes, and they look at their feet as if they're from a different body. They can't move their toes at all. And, you know, they laugh, but it's like, dude, that's attached to you. That's like your ground contact point. We kind of need you. We need this guy to be able to go down there and wiggle your toes or lift them on purpose. And uh, so the first one was sleep. The second one is, are you in your body? Because if you are not in your body, your exercises that day, your actions that day need to be centered around getting you back into your body. And I can't give you an exercise prescription because, you know, we're speaking to the general population, but it could be that that day you're doing more body weight skills because we find, especially with animal flow um, and, you know, I do some ring work, you have no choice but to be in your body. And there's a different way to apply it. Like, you could do something that's more complex, but you could also do just the basics and get yourself back into your system. And I firmly believe that had I done more of that in my 20s, I probably, oh no, (laughs) I definitely would have mitigated certain injuries that I succumbed to because I used to train at, like, 5.30 in the morning. I was barely awake, might have slept enough, definitely wasn't in my body yet because I was barely awake. And I was... Pract- like I was Olympic lifting and I distinctly remember certain injuries and my task mode brain was like, you must complete the workout. That is what the coach told you to do today. This is what you must do. So it's not really the coach's fault. I was qualified for those movements, but I didn't check off those earlier boxes of bodily feedback of did I sleep? How was it? <laughs> and am I actually in my body? If you look down at your feet and you can't move them and can't learn to move your toes, that's something to practice. It's not a judgment. A lot of people walk around in shoe coffins, especially in North America. That is shoes that are too tight, which is the standard footwear. And so they lose that capacity to connect with it. They're your ground contact point, though, and they provide such a wealth of information upstream to your knee, to your hip, to your low back, that if they're not working well, we know that the coupling through the rest of your body can be compromised. More importantly, the information through the rest of the body can be compromised. It's diminished. So that would be the second one, is is wor- are you actually in your body? And then the final one is... Um, figuring out what all the parts of you actually want that day. So, if you've listened to your body, you tuned into your body, you found what may be moving well, what isn't moving well, then you need to decide okay, if I am feeling really achy and I'm feeling really tight and I haven't been doing much, then the answer is a you need to move. <laughs> How wherever you you are on the scale of lit to hit like that. I'm going to draw a scale. Yeah, lit that's to hit. Yeah. Um, it's totally up to you based on the other two factors that we proceeded this with. If you're sore and achy and all of that and you have been moving a lot, then we know you need to like lower the octane levels, octane levels of your workout and hit more of the lit stuff. Maybe go for a walk kind of thing. Um, but – the decision that you make there has to be one that respects what all parts of you want to do. So we already got a read on your system, and we have to take into account your ego and your inner coach and your long-term mindset. So your ego is the one, and I don't want to vilify that word. We all have ego. It's what drives us towards certain things. It can drive a lot of people to accomplish great things, Um, It can be attached to our purpose. But our ego can get uh, talkative, (laughs) let's say. Don't let it always
1: run the show. When
0: it comes to training, because we see accomplishments we've done or we see accomplishments other people have done, and that can be a wonderful motivator. But if those other two the sleep wasn't hit, and the, and the body's kind of like, I don't know where my feet are, never mind the rest of my joints, then the ego could actually be really harmful, because it can be like, you need to chase that PR, <laughs> or y- like, whether we're talking about lifting PR, running PR, whatever it is, um, and you need to go way up there on the hit scale of things, then if you've if you play into that, then we can get disaster because all the parts of you weren't well-coordinated. That guy just got to, like, yell over all the others and be like, let's go, and then next thing you know, we've got aches, a reptin goes super well, um, and instead of thriving to be able to recover hard and train the next day, because of that decision to train a certain way that day, you're finding that now you need to take a week off to recover. So that's just one example of it. Obviously, there's a massive grayscale there. So that's the ego part of you. The long-term part of you is, is the one that does want to train the next day. So for me, I know that this was incredibly hard because I am team-oriented, but I've had to learn this this way. Um, I was always in individual sports but surrounded by team members or by, you know, fellow athletes, and it can be really motivating, and you want to, like, it it helps you push that extra little bit. It really does. We know that. The brain works that way. It ramps it up, and lets you unleash. But I had to learn really hard to, like, tune into what I actually, like, what my body was actually saying that day and what my long-term mindset was saying is that if you push and you play with your colleagues right now for this very, like, these skills – you will not be playing with them tomorrow, and I've had to sit it out, and it sucks, and you know, there's always the ego that gets in the way that's like telling you all sorts of negative things, but you have to sit with that, and you have to like learn to have that dialogue between all your parts, and then there's the coach, the coaching mindset, and coaches need these (laughs) two, coaches need coaches, Uh, the coach inside you is going to have a long-term mindset, is also going to know what you need to do to, to like, strive towards your next goal. And is going to meet somewhere in the middle of the ego and of the long-term, right? So it's going to play into your wants, but it's going to have the long-term mindset as well. And if you put on a hat and it's like, what would your coach say, meaning what would anyone other than yourself say, and the coach would say, no, don't do that today, then that's definitely the one to listen to. So, or maybe they say you should... You can push a little more, have fun. Um, but that's just one example. And so all of this full circle is where why is very important. Knowing your why is knowing your why not. It's crazy important in terms of um, exercise prescription, mitigating health events, which is all about what, like that's what building awareness and cultivating curiosity about your system is about. I think I said about like five times. Sorry, guys. But uh, <laughs> if we well backtrack... Do. What precedes all of that is did you sleep? What's your recovery like? Is that on point? Do you, have you earned the right to push your system or are you just going to dig further in that well? The second one is are you in your body? And if you're in your body and you can feel your feet, you can start to trace through your whole body, do a body scan, then what does your body actually say to you that day in terms of what you had planned? Is it on point or do you need to walk it back? And then the third one is, is that inner dialogue, coaching mindset, your ego, respecting where it wants to go, respecting the fact that it is going to respond heavily to outside influences. Um, and then in addition to that, the long-term mindset, do you want to train tomorrow? And one of the key things that people often listen to is, is pain. That's the first, and this isn't the podcast about pain because that's a massive one to dissect and that'll be for some other day. But oftentimes, people have skipped through all those stages. They'll say, ah, "I'm tired," but then they'll override that and do something else. So they wait until pain gives them a signal that, "Oh shit, I should have been paying attention." If you're experiencing pain, it didn't. That's like the straw that broke the camel's back, and it might mean that, like, you jammed a finger on a bar, <laughs> or it might mean that you like sprained an ankle, landing a jump oddly, uh, or it might be something much worse. But suffice it to say, that's kind of like the end of where there were red flags, and we can catch a lot of those if we pay attention to those steps beforehand and listen to what the bodily system is about. And um, when it comes to when it comes to toughness, I know a lot of people are like, "Oh, but you have to push and like push through things to to build toughness and resilience." And I'll agree and disagree with that. Yeah, we do need mental toughness. And in, by and large these days, in much of our society, we, build, we can build some of that like, uh, awareness of our own resilience through training. Like We can realize, hey, I'm actually capable of more than I thought I was, which is awesome, and I think that that's really important. It also helps people feel confident in their bodies and themselves and in their self-agency as they go, go through life. And then there's that really fine line between having that toughness and and um, being able to push, I think that you can do all of that while still respecting everything I've already laid out about your body's feedback and status. And then there's this, like, little fine line, and it's so easy to jump right over into the ball pit of stupidity. It's just like, whoop. There we go, and and usually, and I'm saying that as someone who's done that, (laughs) where I was training with someone who's like way stronger than me, and I have this vivid memory. I had some ribs that were dislocated, and she's like, "Let's do overhead squats," and I was good at those, and I loved those, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I can do those with dislocated ribs." It was silly. I know I shouldn't have done that. I was that was like a narrator's voice,
1: but no, she could not. No, she could
0: not. Oh, I did it. That's the problem. Is that I did do it, but what did I prove? Nothing. I proved that I needed to go get treatment, and <laughs> that I needed to take more time off than if I had not let that uh, get the better of me. And and toughness has a place. There are times when we have to push. And what I like, I ha- I trained um, a pair of our Olympians. They were in a pair sport, and uh, I didn't run this by her, so hopefully she doesn't mind me saying the story. But she was at Worlds, and the night before we were. Discussing, and I said, Just like, don't eat anything new. And she said, Got it, won't eat anything new. I don't know why I had that nudge. Anyway, she didn't eat anything new, like new foods to her, but what she did eat gave her food poisoning. So she was up all night puking. Her poor little face was like covered in petechia, like pinpoint bruising. And so she had a competition the next day, and it was in the evening warm-ups usually happen in the morning, and so our conversation was about, okay, how do we do this as safely as possible? Because we know you didn't sleep. We know that your body is telling you, like, you are running on empty and you are dealing with a toxin. Um, she was obviously done throwing up and stuff at this point, but we know that your body's been through a massive health event. We know you have the capacity to do this, we, and it was important to her to do that. So that she had to draw that line. If she was still actively sick, I'm sure it would have been a very clear cut no. So what we did throughout the whole day, throughout all the warm-ups and stuff, is still communicate. It's like, okay, have this to make sure you have a little bit of energy. And all we were doing was mitigating risk. And they did incredibly well, and it was just amazing to see what the body can do under that. That is an extreme circumstance where an athlete is trying to qualify for the Olympics. It's like a it's a once or Twice or maybe three times in a lifetime opportunity for certain athletes if they're three times if they're lucky, uh, or not lucky. Sorry, age wise, wherever it lands in their cycle. Um, so that's that's an example of some crazy toughness, and I think that sometimes that gets misconstrued, especially on social media, that we all need to be that tough all the time, and that part's not true, because that's an Olympian candidate who was pulling out all the stops to make a massive dream happened that she's trained for years for. That's different (laughs) than if you are, you know, going about your days and you go to your workout, you haven't slept well, you're not really in your body, and you've got a lot on your brain, and then all of a sudden you jump into a workout and you really push it and you try to get past that barrier of mental toughness. That's not the day. Your toughness that day, and this is one that we've had to work on, is knowing when to call it and knowing when to stop. That takes toughness, especially if you are driven to push yourself. It takes toughness to step back and to actually accept that as the best decision you could have made that day. So I just want to make that little delineation of the, but Freya, this whole lit thing sounds like you're a softie. Okay, yeah, but like we've, we've both experienced what it means to be too tough too often, and that's what we need to sort of, balance against as it
1: were my my too tough too often was again the knee thing but Mm -hmm. then me being smart was not going to worlds the next year Mm -hmm. um because it was too soon after I had my knee repaired um and it was a tough choice because my doctor said I mean yeah you can but the odds of you re-tearing it are you know probably 50 50 yeah and so I had to make that gut call and just be like nope I believe in myself I can work hard and get back and sure enough I did get back and I had my best placing ever mm-hmm. with Freya's coaching and training more responsibly and listening to my body more so I wouldn't get hurt again. So again, there is a time and place for toughness, but you, know, you can't be tough if you're not smart. <laughs> so I think that's mm-hmm. a big takeaway. And just another quick thing too is, um, you can back me up on this if not, but I think the most oftentimes that people get hurt, um, th- you know, it's not when you're doing the big lift at the gym, it's almost always like when you're putting the weights away after when you're not in your body, or after, when you go home and you go to sit down and then you've, you've sat on your arm. I just had a client the other day who has a former rotator cuff injury, and he's doing great now, but he's been renovating home all week, just busting himself, not sleeping very much, not doing any of his daily body care homework, and he was trying to fit in a deadlift session really quickly between his painting, and he was trying to do a corrective exercise between deadlifts and just went to go down to the ground and... He was like, uh uh-oh, shoulder, no good. And he was fine. Like, nothing bad happened. But it's like that's a warning shot because he just was not present in his body.
0: And further to that, like, our emotions are stored in our bodies. And um, when I say that, a lot of people go, oh, that's not possible. But if you think of stress, stress is the easiest one to to connect to. Uh, If you think of a really stressful event where you'll be really heavily, heavily, sorry, I can't speak today, in your brain, and out of your body, it usually isn't until that stressful event has started to lower that then you become aware of all the tension, your neck hurts, you've got headaches, your shoulders are like rigid, your hips hurt, maybe you go for a massage, and all of a sudden, you, because someone's actually bringing life back to your tissue, you're aware of how rough they are, or how tough they are, and that's just because stress can, uh, the adrenaline, adrenaline of it, again, can't speak, Tongue is like on a different you're planet. You're doing great. Thanks. <laughs> um, again, the adrenaline of it all will reduce our, our sensation. And it does that for a reason, because we need to go and like run through things. So if you're sitting and you're a ball of stress and you haven't moved regularly, you need to start moving, because that's the way that your body is actually hardwired to want to process those things so that it doesn't become a massive knot of tissue. And when I say moving, that means go for a walk for 20 to 30 minutes. That is by and large, one of the best things you can do to mitigate that stress response. If you feel like you need to sprint because you're that stressed that you're kind of in fight or flight, if you're qualified to sprint, go for it. Add in some bursts and sprints. You will feel miles better, but more importantly, your body will have processed that tension and emotion instead of just storing it and becoming a gradual like cinder block. The same is true with anxiety. So I go right back to what I said before. If you're feeling crummy, you're feeling rigid, you haven't moved much, go move. Wherever it lies on your scale and wherever it lands within the parameters I set out before on sleep, if you're moving a ton and now you're trying to add more, 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 um, when you're already crazy stressed, you need to, like, lower that dial a lot. And again, go for a walk. Uh, The number of people who don't walk these days um, because they don't have to because life is convenient, it's really high, and that brings us full circle back to the back pain, because that's one of the easiest ways to help mitigate it, is to make sure that you're walking every day, swinging your arms, not looking down at your phone.
1: Yep, absolutely. And uh, in case you haven't noticed, there is a lot of nuance to listening (laughs) to your body, and I think that's a great segue into the nutrition side of things, where welcome to nuance city, because it is, look... Listening to your body when it comes to nutrition is, is very hard, especially nowadays. And that's because if you look at our food environment, we are surrounded by ultra-processed, super delicious foods. And most of us are under a ton of stress. And a lot of us aren't sleeping enough. So we're in this kind of perfect environment to always be triggered to eat something when we're not actually hungry. And it's, uh, it's a really tough environment. If we go back in the day, I mean, wake up, have some food to prep for the day, do some physical labor typically, stop when you were tired to eat more food, go back to work, eat dinner, go to sleep, and then repeat that cycle. So, Back in the day when we didn't have all these delicious foods around and we did more actual physical work and all of us cooked our own food, we had a lot more movement sourced into the day and making food choices was a lot more simple. We got a lot of actual signals from the body rather than just noise. And there's a lot of noise these days. So in today's world, hunger cues are they're the really big one that kind of throws people off. So there's two things to hunger cues, and that is, one, hunger cues are trained. That's the first foremost thing that people need to understand. So if you eat at a certain time every single day, you're going to get a hunger cue at that time every single day. So if you're somebody who's trying to change your diet, maybe trying to eat less because you're trying to lose a little bit of weight, but you're constantly craving a snack mid-morning or mid-afternoon, that's usually just noise because you've trained yourself to need something then and your brain's saying, hey, we typically eat now. Why aren't you eating? The other piece to hunger that's really kind of confusing is that hunger and cravings get really easily confused. And so the general rule for this is very simple high-level stuff. is If you haven't eaten in several hours or you haven't eaten yet today, you are probably hungry. <laughs> you should probably eat food. Um, So, several hours is what the body is equipped to handle between full meals. Now, after that general rule, again, if you're hungry between those meals, remember, hunger is trained, as I just said. So, snacks are not necessary, and I always love pointing out, so if you take a human being who has 10% body fat, and so that's somebody who typically you can visibly see their abs, they'll have something like 30,000 calories worth of energy right on their body. So, probably don't need to snack between meals. You've got enough on your body to last you between meals. And so if you're constantly snacking, you're basically training the body to always need exogenous inputs and to never have to use what it's got on the body. So that's a really important thing to remember to decipher the, is it a craving or is it hunger? If it's only been two hours, you're probably not hungry unless you ate like a peanut. (laughs) So again, there's nuance to this. Now, when it comes to hunger and cues and cravings, to just kind of help you sift through all of that, here are some of the questions that I would have you ask. So first of all, if it's earlier in the day, did you have breakfast, first and foremost? Because if you didn't have breakfast, yes, you should probably go and eat breakfast. Now, I'm not going to say anything negative about intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting has a place. Uh, We wrote a circadian uh, rhythms blog that speaks to that and how you can use intermittent fasting appropriately. Um, But if you skip breakfast, and some people just take this as a nutrition strategy, if you skip breakfast, you're typically going to start to blunt your hunger signals through the morning because, again, you train your body. But the body's actually really smart, and it's going to trigger you to eat more later in the day. So you're going to get more advanced hunger cues later in the day because you ate less earlier in the day. So again, this is all coming back to what you have trained the body to do. So when you take some of these more extreme nutrition uh, strategies, they can really confuse the signals that your body typically would give to you. So again, one of those questions is, did you eat breakfast? And that'll give you kind of a little bit of insight of, am I hungry or do I have a craving? Now, if you did eat breakfast, did you eat real food or did you eat processed food? Because if you ate ultra-processed food and didn't have very much protein, didn't have any vegetables or berries or something that's going to give you true satiation cues and hunger cues, then you could get hungry really, really quick after that breakfast meal. So if you didn't eat real food, you're not going to get a firm signal. It's going to be, again, noise. So that protein, I just wrote a blog on protein as well, go to the blog and check out the protein blog there, but it's very important giving you these very regular and um, on point hunger and satisfaction cues. Low protein diets, they tend to cause people to eat more often because you are always hungry. So it all does come back to the quality of the food that you are eating as well. Another big question to ask is, are you thirsty? Because Thirst will often manifest as hunger if we're not paying close enough attention. So there's no rule on how much water you need to drink every day. The question would just be, are you making an effort to drink water? The general eight glasses a day, sure, it's a fine thing to shoot for. But in general, like, are you drinking water? It's very good for you. And if you're not drinking water, you're going to be dehydrated. and Again, you're going to get very confused signals and think that you're probably hungrier than you really are. I'm going to take a drink of water. I'm going to spill it on my shirt.
0: Just to show them how good you are at drinking.
1: (laughs) I'm an adult. These things are great. (laughs) Finally, are you sleeping? Because again, I think Freya mentioned this. Are you sleeping? Um, Because research shows that after even just one night of impaired sleep, so think like four to six hours of sleep, that's going to increase leptin levels, which is your hunger cue. It's going to give you more hunger signals the next day. You're going to have increased appetite, and you're going to have increased desire for sweetened foods. And that's after one night. So if you're chronically deprived of sleep, you know you're going to have very confused signals when it comes to your hunger. And then finally, have you been physically active? If you're physically active, that tends to increase hunger. So if you're an athlete and you're physically active, make sure you eat and you fuel. This is something, this is actually a big problem in young athletes, especially young female athletes these days, will not fuel enough for their activity because They're trying to split a fine line between that body composition and that performance. And that can lead to a lot of issues there. Um, So these are all the things that I would have you think about if you're confused. And this kind of paints a picture. Um, A lot of adults, you know, they're super busy. They're going to skip breakfast because they're busy. They're going to eat something processed because they're on the go. They're not drinking water because they're too busy to drink water. And now they're not sleeping at night because they've got too much stuff going on. Oh, no time for a workout, not physically active all those signals that their body would typically give them are now very confused they're very noisy so again if you take a picture of all these questions it can give you a lot more control over what your (coughs) body excuse me what your body is truly telling you now the one place where again nuance (laughs) jumps in is if you're trying to lose weight and again this is a very specific um, specific goal but it is a very common goal these days so if you are trying to lose weight you cannot always listen to your hunger cues like very specifically because if you are constantly eating every time you get hungry and again remembering sometimes those might just be cravings if you're constantly eating just to always you know resolve that concern you're never going to tell your body hey burn off what you have so do have to remember you train you can train your hunger signals and you do need to break old habits if you are trying to lose weight so this is a huge mental barrier for a lot of people who are trying to lose weight because they're so caught in that typically i would say mid-morning and late afternoon that snack that a lot of people want or after dinner where they've trained that pattern so much that it's so heavy and if you're stressed out or you're not sleeping enough that signal or noisy signal really is hard to ignore and then that one or two or three little extra binge moments through the week that's going to stop your your results dead in the tracks so remembering if you're trying to lose weight hunger is not an emergency and hunger cues are trained and then go back up to those questions i just asked to to remind yourself like are these hunger cues or are these cravings because if you're thirsty (laughs) maybe it's not drinking water and you are going to eat more just because you're not drinking enough water. So go back to those questions that I just asked, and make, you can make your life a lot easier by trying to get regular sleep, by eating real food and protein, by staying hydrated, and all those things. And so if I just kind of go back to that younger population that tends to you know, fall into the trap of trying to be athletic, trying to lose weight, some of the other signals that you can get from the body that are going to tell you you might need to eat more are, for example... Are you lightheaded? Are you dizzy? Can you not focus? You probably need to eat a little bit more. Can't sleep at night, or you're waking in the middle of the night. And this is for, so this is any age. If that is what's happening, your cortisol or your stress hormones are probably off, which generally means you're not eating enough. So if those sleep habits are are off and you're waking up in the night, again, that's another signal to say maybe you should be eating more throughout your days. Constipation. It's another huge signal that the body sends to you when you're, if you're not eating enough or especially if you're not drinking enough water. Again, not drinking enough water is going to affect the diet. So if you're constipated, first and foremost, I think Frey and I would agree that increasing your water and walking more would actually be the two biggest things that can help with constipation. Just because walking, uh, the mo- rhythmic movement of the hips will actually help the peristalsis of the gut and that rhythmic movement to push things through. But if water and walking are right on point, then really check in to see if you're eating enough food, period. Don't just default the fiber. Look at what are you doing with the diet because that's going to have a really big input there too. Uh, If you're bloated after meals is another one. If you're bloated, try and eat a little bit more slowly. (laughs) Generally, people are eating stressed. They're eating rushed. Or if you're rapidly overeating food, that's another one you can get to. Or if you're going too long between meals. But bloating is another one where Try and slow things down and then just investigate, like how long am I going between meals? How often am I eating? And that can help resolve that as well. Um, For women, what's happening with your cycle? If your cycle has disappeared or if it's becoming longer and longer and longer and maybe if it's getting more painful, that's another huge indicator that something is going wrong with what you're doing day to day. So again, that can be diet, that can be are you drinking enough water? it uh, can just exercise versus food if that's off but again that's not a normal thing to become amenorrheic a lot of young women athletes do become amenorrheic again trying to draw that fine line but if you look at all the research on that the best performing female athletes are the one who maintain their period and do not push it to that level where now they're losing uh, they're losing performance and losing their period uh, headaches are another huge one if you're have a headache you're almost surely either dehydrated or it's time to eat, um, or you've just been having way too much caffeine. So definitely check in on the caffeine because that'll get you too. Uh, And finally, energy crashes and mood swings. Pay attention. It's not normal to have energy that just crashes, especially like within like half an hour, hour after a meal. That is not a normal thing to have your energy totally crash or if mid-afternoon you're constantly dipping down. It's really not a normal thing to feel totally like trash at those times of the day and, and rapid mood swings. If you're irritable and your mood's all over the place, what kind of foods are you eating? Like check into that. Are you eating real food or is it more processed You're eating on the go? You're running around and see if it is enough food. All of these questions, again, it's redefining like what is normal? What is the baseline? Because if you just write these things off as they're just a normal thing that we all deal with because we're busy, then you're not going to look into them, but they're not normal. <laughs> If you're trying to be healthy, you need to look into those things. And I just want to make one last thing on protein here. Again, why it's so important is it is important for hormone production, for neurotransmitter production. So if you don't have enough real food or protein, you're going to lose control of your mood and of your appetite and all of these things just because you don't have enough real food in the system. So again, all your signals just become noise. And fitness has normalized super lean and super skinny, and that's where some people happily and healthily sit, but it is a very inaccurate representation of the population. Like, some people are there, but it's it's not normal to be super lean and shredded all the time and super skinny. You need to put your body first, understand what your lifestyle is, and check in with your reasons behind chasing super leanness if this is something that's constantly having you um, kind of fluctuate up and down with those things. Um, and then the other thing is just how we measure our, our, our hunger and our, our body composition is generally the scale. And again, the scale is very misleading because it only tells your gravitational pull. It is something that you can look on every few weeks to see what's happening, but default back up to those questions I asked. You're not going to get sustainable results if you're always skipping meals, if you're eating processed foods, if you're not eating any protein, if you're not hydrated, if you're not getting your sleep, if you're not doing these things, you can't expect the outcome of losing weight and getting leaner to be there. So focus more on the process and ask those questions so you can get real signals, and then listening to your body, you can actually get the answers that you're looking for. Mm-hmm.
0: And one of the other things is, is again, things falling apart always provide you with a, a unique opportunity to go and explore why they happened. because if you take the mindset of having awareness and curiosity instead of being obsessive or fearful um, or yeah, just under the under the impression that you're you're disconnected and someone else is in charge, and I, I understand that, that that can be hard to do. like some people get injured or very, very sick. Uh, seemingly out of the blue, and it can be hard to overcome that and overcome kinesiophobia, phobia, which is fear of movement, and, and make their way back, but it is inevitably necessary because we are built to move, we are built to eat and to digest real food, whatever types of food suit your system well, um, that's something that you obviously have to figure out and play around with, but when we cultivate that awareness and curiosity, we get, we get to learn a lot, and all of those lessons get to be applied Long term, when we become disconnected, when we start going through cycles, and we're ignoring all of those red flags. Every time something cycles through, like I had a client who um, was sent my way who had a mentioned that she wanted to lose weight, but when I got into her evaluation, because I mostly work with people who are dealing with health events and, and pain more so than um, weight changes. When we got into it, she'd been seeing practitioner every month for the same recurring shoulder injury for years and I asked what she did to manage the shoulder in between the appointments and there was nothing and I asked what she knew about her shoulder and its function still blank and um and that's not a criticism to her that's a function of our society is that we have less education spent on on the body and on our systems and on our movement, but if we can cultivate that awareness and curiosity and if you get hurt or if you get sick or if something goes on with your gut or something occurs with a dramatic weight loss or a dramatic weight gain or you lose your cycle, that can be used as an opportunity to then start learning more. And not to get trapped or obsessive or fearful, but just to understand the vernacular of your body, understand the feedback it gives you. Uh, You know, I battled with amenorrhea for a variety of reasons, some of which was uh, no doubt due to some of the immune things I, I deal with. But it became this thing where I had to learn, okay, I knew this wasn't normal. I knew all about human physiology, and I was like, this isn't right. I need to figure it out, and it took me like a decade to figure it out, meaning establish something normal, but you you can do that. It's when we just ignore that and we think, oh, you know what? I'm 32, and I'm over the cusp of 30, therefore I'm just going to start feeling like shit. I, I don't actually think that's accurate, especially if you are part of the general healthy population. I don't think that's an... I don't think that's fair. <laughs> you have so much life ahead of you that's not fair. And I've seen some remarkable changes in people in their 70s and 80s where I'm just like, mm, anyone who's young, who's part of that general population, you're not allowed. <laughs> we way don't have long. that excuse because <laughs> <laughs> I have long. seen some amazing changes in in people who are in uh, their their 70s and 80s. I haven't had the opportunity to train more than one 90-year-old, so I, I can't speak for that generation or sorry, that decade, but I've seen some amazing changes, and, you know, these aren't people who are former pro athletes, so we can't say that, you know, they're banking on something that developed when they were young. These are people picking up, for some of them, fitness for the first time, and and really, truly tuning into themselves. So we always have the opportunity. We always have uh, the ability, and it doesn't mean you need to overhaul haul your life. Last week, the homework on the movement side of things, um, and I know we'll get into homework a little bit more. But w- was to see what movement you can source naturally within your day, and you know, on top of that, I'll encourage that you encourage you to to start checking in. What was your sleep? Are you in your body? Can you lift your toes independently? Um, as one example and then can you make decisions around that in accordance with what your system is telling you and if we accept that you know when you're young and you're you're experiencing this like ache and stuff accept that you can probably do something about it and you can consult a practitioner you can s- consult whoever you need to do but they should be able to teach you the tools because you are ultimately in charge. You're going to be the best detective at figuring out what allows you to thrive, 100%.
1: So that was some great movement homework that you just (laughs) gave. But now I'm going to go into the nutrition homework. And last week for the nutrition homework, we had you go to the website and download a meal timing tracker so that you could get a little bit of a handle on the time of your meals and how that made you feel. So we're going to repurpose that sheet. You can continue using that. And this week, the next step is just to add into that information, what did I eat? I know, very, very out there, complex stuff. Now, the easiest way for people to track this, I find, personally, and this is what I use in my practice, is just to take pictures of the things that you eat. So you don't need a fancy app or anything. You literally just need a phone, and most people have a phone in their pockets all the time. So just snap a quick picture of anything that you eat, and guess what? That's also time-stamped. Bonus helps you with your time-tracker. And if you actually want a fancier app, you can download, it's called 8ATE, the 8 app. Um, this is the one that I use with my clients, and it actually just stores all your photos in a nice, in a nice, succinct little place. You can see all your pictures on one screen. Um, but this is a way now you can start pairing up the what did I eat with the timing and everything else to really get a better handle on your outcomes, meaning how did you feel after the meals. Now, again, that tracker can be downloaded on our website. We will put that into the show notes. Um, but you can go to our shop and use the code MEALS. Again, T-I-M-E-M-E-A-L-S. All capital letters. And uh, download that time tracker and uh, move forward with the homework.
0: Awesome. And uh, last but not least, we usually leave you with a book recommendation. So this book recommendation is called Successful Aging by Daniel Levitin, who is a neuroscientist. Hopefully I didn't screw that up, but Successful Aging. Uh, It has a whole bunch of different pieces to it in the sense that you don't have to read it front to back. You can literally go pick a section that discusses a topic that you think you want to dive into. And he really is shedding new light on the fact that we are living We're living well into our 80s, generally speaking in this country at least. I don't know the stats for everywhere. And the gap between when we are functional to when we leave this planet, make the trip as we call it, is is quite large. There there are a couple decades. And again, some of it comes back to the belief that, oh, you're over the hill and you're in decline. Instead of realizing that there are actually some amazing things that people – Uh, can do and explore and learn within their last couple of decades uh, of life. And um, anyway, I think that it's a good book for people of any age to read, really. Also because sometimes there's a degree of ageism (laughs) in younger people. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Starts at random times, you know. I I mean, I get it. One of my client's five-year-olds asked if uh, when we said he could lift something, he said, no, by then... My dad will be dead, and we were just like, great, okay. So perception of small children is humorous, but we, we tend to keep that ageism up when we understand far more, and, and you hear people say that they're 30, and now they're, they're over the cusp of any sort of you know, success in life, which is uh, especially physical. Which is at odds with the truth. So, successful aging by Daniel Levitin, and we'll link it into the show notes.
1: Absolutely, great book to give everyone a little perspective on aging and what is possible. Uh, So, quick little recap here. I think uh, the big takeaway is again redefine what's normal for a lot of people. Don't just say, "Hey, I'm old, so these things are happening." Uh, You are the number one person who lives in your body. You're the only person that lives in your body, and you are the person who should know the most about your body. So. When it comes to movement, know your why, Um, be in your body, live in your body. And when it comes to physical activity, have those three voices in your head, the ego, have the long-term, and have the coaching mindset. And that's going to help you determine if you should be pushing through those workouts or not. And then on the nutrition side of things, again, we're trying to decipher between the signal and the noise. And a lot of that's going to come down to those typical habits that you have day to day. So always go back and ask those questions About why something is happening to you. And it's like, hey, did I eat breakfast? Am I eating protein? Am I eating real food? Am I drinking water? Go back to those questions, recycle them, and that's gonna help you figure out why you might be getting weird cravings and not being able to stick to uh, listening to your hunger cues and eating to actually fuel for the lifestyle that you lead. So I think that is it for this episode of the Move Daily Health podcast. Thank you, Freya. Thank you, Taylor. those listening that is our filmographer over there she's taking care of everything filmographer i mean no words i'm saying anyway thank you to everyone who's here and we'll see you next time on the move daily health podcast we hope you enjoyed our conversation to hear more head on over to stitcher or itunes and subscribe to the move daily health podcast and don't hesitate to leave us a review thanks for listening